0: Morning. Uh, Every day is a new day, and uh, there's always tomorrow. My first car, first car I owned that I bought with my own money, was a yellow Ford Maverick. I paid $500 for it, and I only drove it eight to nine months because I needed the money to pay for room and board for schooling in Chicago that fall. And so I bought the car. I drove it all summer, and then as the fall arrived, my dad helped me. Listed in the newspaper to sell and someone came and looked at the car and they immediately liked it And they paid the same amount of money that I bought it for $500 and so I thought it was kind of a good deal. You know, I'd I'd come out and driven this car for eight or nine months for free basically Uh, two or three months passed probably closer to two uh, My dad received a phone call from the guy who bought my car And he said the car died Uh, The engine is shot, and I expect you to give the money back. Well, the problem is I had spent the money, and my dad didn't have that kind of money setting around, and so he couldn't do anything. And so he said to the guy, I'm I'm sorry this happened. I mean, cars, it could have died on us. It could have died on you. It wasn't really our fault. But the guy was upset because uh, he knew my dad was a minister, and I think that probably factored into his decision to buy the car. I can trust this guy. Instead, he got this lemon. Whenever I think of this story, I, I, I'm a little bit uh, bothered by it. I, I've never lost any sleep over it. Well, maybe I did. I don't know. Years ago. But I'm not, I, I get a little bit bothered by it. And, and there are things in our lives, I think all of us have things in our lives that we regret or we get bothered about them when we think about them. Sometimes they're just things that happen to us Sometimes there are things we did that, that you know, not necessarily like a sin area or something. Uh, I, I was reminded when I was preparing this of a time that my wife and I had over to our house a family. His name was Nate Carr and his wife. Uh, he is an Olympic uh, bronze medalist in wrestling. He won the uh, Olympic bronze. He should have gotten the gold, by the way. He was kind of cheated out of that. But he was from the Morgantown area, and we had him over to eat. But I cooked chicken that night and uh, my grill was not in the best shape. And a a couple of the heating elements had rusted through so that flames were shooting up out of those. Uh, The rest of the grill, though, I had to turn way down because the whole thing was too hot, and I was trying to cook chicken that would be edible. And I thought I succeeded. I'm sure I checked one or two pieces of the chicken before I served it up, but then Nate was cutting into his piece of chicken. It was completely raw inside, you know, completely. The outside looked done. It wasn't done. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at the kids, and they're getting ready to take a bite of their chicken. I thought, oh, no. I had to microwave it, try to fix it. What a mess. And, and I, I thought of that, you know, and, and probably the rest of his life, he thought, do you remember that time we ate over at the herrings? <laughs> but sometimes there are things we did wrong. I mean, this is kind of a minor example, but I remember a time that I I was trying to get someone back at Bible College for a prank that they had played, and I chased him down the hall, and he ran into his room. And I don't know where the idea came from, but I got a vacuum cleaner. I took off the top of the bag, and I wedged it under the door, and then I plugged it in and turned it on. Literally emptied the entire bag inside this poor kid's room. He finally opened the door, you know, and, and, it, and then he ran to the window so he could breathe. It was just everywhere, just dust everywhere. and I kind of feel bad about that. <laughs> I mean, I really did. I, I, I just, I am sorry. I, I mean, I had just no idea. Some of the pranks we played weren't as bad as that one. But, you know, there are things in our past that sometimes we regret. Again, sometimes they're big areas. These examples are, are not that... A big, You know, there are some things that maybe some of us have done that we highly regret. But the question I want to raise today is how do we get past the past? How do we get past the things we've done in the past? Now, today we want to continue our series, Finding Joy in Uncertain Times. We're going through the book of Philippians, week one of the series. I talked about how the gospel is good news, how that's the starting place. If you're right with God, if you know that your sins are forgiven and he's with you and he's for you, Whatever is going on in your world doesn't matter nearly as much as that one thing. Jesus said, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's what you rejoice about. And then I talked about relationships, and, and so much about joy relates to relationships. Even psychologists will tell you that. You know, the people that are the happi- happiest in this world are ones that have good relationships. And last week, I talked about obeying God. The connection between doing what God says is good and avoiding what God says is wrong is a key to enjoying life and joy in this life. And I think lots of times Christians think, I can live a certain way and I can do certain things that I know don't please God and then expect to be filled with joy and peace and happiness as if you can live the abundant life under that circumstance. I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but I'm talking about things that in our lives that we know God's been putting his finger on well, today I want to talk about how Paul reviewed, or viewed his past. Uh, he had a, a very interesting past, and he begins Philippians 3, where we're going to be here today. He begins Philippians 3 by talking about his past. He lists some positive things, you know, things that he was um, happy about. I'd call it Paul's pedigree. But he also lists some things in there that he was ashamed about. And then he addresses the question, what did he do with his past? Now, it's important to understand why Paul brought up his past. He was addressing a problem in the church with these false teachers, you know, they were putting themselves forward. And 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 these false teachers are coming into the church, and they were basically telling people that they needed to go into the very thing Paul was saying you've got to come out of, namely the Jewish background and And the law which we'll talk about in just a minute here but but basically they were turning people away from Christ and back into Judaism and they were coming to the church with their pedigree so that's why he starts with his own but let's begin reading in Philippians 3 in verse 1 where we read finally brothers Paul writes rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you stop for a moment but I'm just acknowledging again. There's that word joy and rejoice, and and Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord, which, by the way, is the key of all keys, which I want to talk about in two weeks. Rejoice, in how to find true joy just in Christ. But he says rejoice in the Lord, regardless of what you're going through. And, and to remind you is not. It doesn't bother me to remind you, but we need the reminder because it is a choice. But then he goes on to say, and these are kind of some hard words, they might even have caught the readers by surprise, he said, watch out for dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, he's not, not talking about real dogs here, but he is using it in kind of a derogatory way, you know, you dog. I was reminded as I was preparing this of a vacation, our family went on when the kids were young, and... Um, I was driving and somebody pulled out right in front of me and I had to slam on the brakes and I said out loud, you dirty dog. Which is about the worst it actually gets with me despite all my driving stories. You dirty dog. Our daughter who was probably five at the time, it's in the backseat, where's the dirty dog? Where's the dirty dog? I want to see the dirty dog. I said, oh, it's too late. Oh, we got to go back. Dad, please go back. She's crying, you know, I want to see the dirty dog. I don't know that she ever understood. (laughs) It wasn't a real dog. Who are these dogs, evil workers, those who mutilate the flesh? Well, they were called Judaizers. And they basically taught that the only way you get right with God is to go through Judaism, through the Old Testament law. you got to obey all the commands. you got to sacrifice. And it meant if you were a guy, you had to get circumcised. And if you don't know what that means, look it up. But that's what he means when he says, these mutilators of the flesh, the people that are focusing on this thing over here. That's not how you get right with God. But they were teaching a false good news, a false gospel, which is no good news at all. R.P. Leitner explains Paul's description here of these false teachers. It was common for some Jews to refer to Gentiles as dogs, which were considered unclean animals, Paul used the term to describe these Jews who mutilated the gospel by insisting on the need to mutilate the flesh in order to get rightly related to God. The true gospel, the true good news is that we do not come to God on the basis of the Old Testament law. And I'm thankful that's the case because none of us would make it If the requirement for any one of us were to completely fulfill everything about the Old Testament law, you wouldn't have made it. You could have done a bunch of it. You could have done most of it. You probably wouldn't have made it. For example, you weren't even back then allowed to wear clothing of mixed materials. So I don't know if this is all cotton or not, but you couldn't mix them. You couldn't mix the materials. It was a symbol of the fact you were to be not mixed with the world outside of Judaism. Our good news is that a person gets right with God simply by putting their trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. That's good news. What was being peddled here was the Old Testament law like a ball and chain that you'd have to carry the rest of your life. But this brings me to my takeaway here today because Paul then, in order to confront these Judaizers, put out his pedigree. Again, he put out all the qualifications he had because he was competing with all these other teachers. And that's what they would do. They'd walk into the church and say, I'm this, 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 and this. You listen to me. And so Paul felt a need to lay out his credentials. And so he spells out some of the things he was proud about, but then he throws in some of the things he wasn't proud about. And then we get to the bottom line. He viewed it all as garbage, actually, all of it. There was a certain way in which he viewed his past from then on, after he met Christ. So my takeaway this morning is this, we can't get past the past, or we can get past the past if we focus on Christ who is our future. That's the main takeaway. We can get past the past if we would begin to focus on Christ who is our future. He's also, as we'll see in a minute, our present. But let's look at what he had to say here concerning his qualifications, beginning in verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision, or some versions say we are the we, are the true circumcision. We are the ones who serve the Spirit of, by the Spirit of God. We boast in Christ Jesus, and we do not put confidence in the flesh. When he says, we are the circumcision, what he was saying is that what God looks for is not a physical circumcision in the flesh. What God is looking for is the sin trimmed from your heart, a spiritual circumcision. And this is encouraging to me. When I read this, you are the true circumcision. I mean, the words don't encourage me. But this idea that I am, I am part of Abraham's family, that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm not Jewish, but somehow I've been included in. I'm the true circumcision because I worship in the, with the Spirit of God. I boast in Jesus Christ, my confidence in the flesh, the true descendants of Abraham, are not ones who go through the law or ones who are circumcised. They're ones who know God, who put their trust in Christ. And he becomes their new boast. But Paul then continues. He says, although I once also had confidence, another word would be pride, in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Now, let's stop there, but Paul was the cream of the crop. He was the head of the class. Not one of the teachers that would have come into this situation in the church of Philippi would have had the credentials, the same ones he had to the degree he did. He was he was the top of the class, He says, why was, you know, circumcised on the eighth day? Why does he mention that? Well, he was born into Judaism. He wasn't wasn't someone who converted later. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means that both his parents were Jewish. I'm born into it and born into the law where you were required to be circumcised on the eighth day. And and then he said, regarding this law, he said, you know, I, I fulfilled it completely, all the things I could. And... On top of that, I wasn't just uh, one who followed the law. I was a Pharisee. The, it's the strictest group of teachers of the law were the Pharisees. And he said, I was, I was a Pharisee. And then he adds, if you think you're zealous, you won't match my zeal. When I was, when I was a Pharisee, I, I put people to death who were Christians, And now we get into kind of where the the story's turning a little bit, part of his past. You see, when we first are introduced to Paul in the Bible, we find him standing among a bunch of coats or cloaks that people had taken off and laid at his feet while they picked up stones to kill Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church in Jerusalem. All these people that were going to stone Stephen saw Paul and said he's He's the main guy, and they said, Watch our coats while he stood around. We know from the rest of the New Testament that Paul saw himself through the lens, or the old lens, of being a murderer. In Acts 2 and verse, I'm sorry, Acts 22 and verse 4, Paul admitted his role in killing Christians. He said, I persecuted this way. In my version of the Bible, it's capitalized way, it's a reference to Christianity. It's a reference to people who've turned to Jesus as the way, the truth and the life. They became known as the way. Oh, you're of the way, Jesus. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women in jail. You see, there were aspects of his story that he could take pride in, and he was really above his peers in in his qualifications. He was trained by Gamaliel, to this day, regarded as one of the greatest teachers in Judaism of all time, he's still revered to this day. And that was Paul's teacher. That was the guy that said to Paul, I want, I'm going to disciple you. He was kind of a big deal, cream of the crop. But he was also a murderer. And elsewhere in the New Testament, he says, I, I was saved, delivered from my sin because I was the worst of all sinners. In fact, he still considered himself sometimes through that lens, I'm the worst of all sinners. So he was like the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And so he's a great person to find Christ because he was able to discard both of them. All the things he used to trust in, all the things that he despised about his past. If we can get past the past by focusing on Christ, it'll change, I think, our future. But... In finding Christ, it changed everything about Paul's past, present, and future. And so I want to focus on each of those just briefly. I want to note this first of all, that Paul traded his past for a new beginning with Christ. Paul chose, I'm not going to focus anymore on the past. And here we get into kind of getting a little bit practical about the past. He, he chose not to focus on that anymore, which is one of the keys, I think, to finding joy in life, is we just can't focus on the past. Sometimes we have to deal with the past. Sometimes I think even as Christians, it's important to understand that the past has impacted us. We do certain things because of the past sometimes, but that is not the focus of our life. And Paul used to take pride in all these other things, and he had all these regrets, but he set them all aside. How did he view them? Well, verse 7 says, everything that was gained to me, namely my background, my religiosity, my credentials, my achievements, all of that, everything that was gained to me, everything I took pride in, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of Him. I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law The one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that's based on faith. Paul came to understand his pedigree couldn't save him, that all the good things that he had done had not been enough to give him eternal life. Paul understood something that I think a lot of people these days don't understand about how people get right with God. Because still to this day, I think most people have the perspective that we get right in God's eyes, we are made righteous or forgiven or will go to heaven, however you want to word it, by offering God our righteousness, which is how Paul used to view it. In our day and age, people would say, well, I'm a good person. I treat other people well. I'm kind, you know, I love people. Golden rule, do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. I follow the example of Jesus. I go to church, all these things. We'd have a different list than Paul did, but he had all these things going for him, and he says, I view him as worthless now because the only way someone will get to heaven is if, if, if God gives them righteousness. It's a righteousness that comes from God to us on the basis of faith. That's the, that was the big lesson. That was the big takeaway for Paul. I was here offering up my righteousness, which is not enough, even though he was the cream of the crop. It wasn't enough he came to understand that no one is made righteous through their own righteousness. It's got to be a righteousness that comes from God, and it's on the basis of faith when we put our trust in Christ. And there he, therefore, he viewed all that stuff of his past as worthless. Just worthless, worthless to save him. Look at verse 8 again. He said, more than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord because of him. I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. Filth is a nice translation. There are other ways to put it. This could be translated dung or something worse or garbage. That's how he viewed it. Dr. Leitner puts it this way. His former gains he considered rubbish, which can mean food scraps or dung, so that I may gain Christ. Nothing else really mattered to him. Any longer, having Christ as his Savior and Lord so far surpassed anything he had in Judaism. This is one of the things I love about the gospel. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the past is gone. This is why I love to quote Second Corinthians 5, 17 so much. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. You put your faith in Christ, the past is all forgiven. It's all gone. You begin this new life. Life starts then. That's why Jesus said, you know, if you put your trust in Christ, you have eternal life. You begin new life. It starts at that point. Now, I think it's important for Christians to understand that every day is new life through Christ, that he's forgiven your sins past, present, and future. And I think as, we, as Christians, we don't believe this, but I view it like every new day has a new day with Jesus, regardless of what I did yesterday, the things I may regret even about yesterday, I set them aside because Christ paid for my sins in the past, present and future. He paid it all in the past. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need to encounter God about the things we do wrong. Just like any relationship, if, you do, if there's a thing in your relationship with your creator or with another person, they may still love you, but you need to clear it up sometimes. That's why confession is a good thing. You say, I admit I sinned. But as John said, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it's like a brand new beginning. And that's what we have as Christians. So we trade this past for a new beginning in Christ. Second, we triumph in the present by drawing closer to Christ. Paul left the past behind so he could focus on the present. Let's continue reading in verse 10. He says, my goal... And by the way, he has two goals we're going to look at. But he says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already fully mature. In other words, he's saying, it's not that I've arrived. I'm not telling you I arrived. But I make every effort to take hold of it because... I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, he says, I do not consider myself as having taken hold of it yet. In other words, complete maturity and, and, and the whole Christian life and everything. I haven't taken hold of all of it yet, but one thing I do, he says, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I press on as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus to pursue that. He says, therefore, all who are mature." should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. And in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. I just want to mention two goals that he really talks about here. One of them is his goal to know Jesus. He says, I, I want to know him. I want to know him deeply. I've wondered before, what would happen in our lives if that were our main goal in all of life? I just want to know Jesus. Jesus. Paul went so far as to say, I want to experience what Jesus experienced so that I'll know him better. He didn't just say, I, want to, I, know, I love you, Jesus. I want to know you. He said, I want to suffer like you did. I, I want to endure what you went through. I, I'm willing even to die the way you died in order that one day I'll have the same resurrection you had. He, just, he wanted everything that Jesus went through to be true of his own life. You'd say, why would you want that? I mean, why would you say, you know, I want to know Christ, and and then he says the fellowship of his sufferings. Why on earth would anyone want to do that? And I think it's because to the degree that you suffer for Christ, and as a Christian, to that degree, you'll appreciate what Jesus did for you more. I think Paul realized that everything he went through, that Jesus went through, will give him a greater appreciation for his Savior. He'll get to know more and more and more and more until the final day when he gets a new body that will correspond with Jesus' body. And so that was his first goal in life, to know Christ. Paul triumphed in the present by drawing closer to Christ. But he had a second goal that's tied to the first one, and that is he wanted to win the race for Christ. He describes a race here. My version of the Bible said he wants to take hold of, or I'm sorry, the New American Standard, I want to take hold of that for which you took hold of me. Jesus, you took hold of me. I want to grab a hold of the thing for which you took hold of me. In other words, the purpose you, you called me for. In Ephesians 2.10, we read, every believer has good works that God has prepared ahead for you to do. God has a, a, a track that you're to be on. You're in the middle of a race. All of us are in, on, on that race. And Paul looks at this and says, my goal is to know you, Jesus. And then you grabbed me for something. And I haven't yet fully arrived at it yet, but I'm going to reach forward for that until I get to that promise or that line, that finish line, and I hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. There's this reaching forward. And it's important that we reach forward because we get distracted when we look back. We end up heading in the wrong direction if we look back, which brings me to my third point. Paul treasured his future as he anticipated Christ's return. And so he traded his past for this new beginning. In the present, he was triumphing as he drew closer to Christ and was fulfilling this goal in his life to, to run the race that Christ had before him. And then he treasured his future as he anticipated Christ's return. Let's continue re- reading in verse 17. He says, Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us, For I've often told you, now tell you again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. He's talking about these false teachers, of course. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They they are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Paul says here he's just eagerly waiting for that day when Jesus came back and when he was going to get this new body, a body that he describes in 1 Corinthians 15, that when we see Christ, when that trumpet sounds and we join Christ in the air, we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And the word change there in 1 Corinthians is the word metamorphosis. It refers to that change that takes place from a caterpillar to a butterfly, something more glorious, an internal change. We're going to be changed like that. And Paul is looking ahead, not just to the new body he's going to get, but to the Christ who's coming. Because if a person has spent their whole life living for Jesus, then it's with great excitement that you look ahead And Paul looked at this and said, now we're citizens of heaven. Let's live like it. We're on this earth for a short period of time. He referred to that in the last chapter. But we're citizens of heaven. We're just passing through. Keep your eye on that. And again, don't look back. In the previous section I read, he talked about a race. And he said, I'm looking ahead. I'm not looking back. Because we've all seen probably video clips of somebody in a race who looked back at the wrong moment and then were passed. Someone else, they won. And, and he says, I, I, that's not where my attention is. So let me summarize and give you some questions by way of application. The general thought is: we get past the past, as we focus on Christ, who is our future, he's able to make all things new. And this means trading the past for a, a new beginning in Christ. It means triumphing in the present by drawing closer to him. It means treasuring this future as we anticipate that he's coming back for us one day. So let me ask you some questions by way of application. Number one is, have you brought your regrets to the Lord? And for some of you, that means, have you put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior because He can make you a new creation? Where you come to a point where you realize, I know I need Jesus. I know I can't fix my sin problem. And I want you to be my Savior, Jesus. I put my trust in you. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be delivered from the penalty of your sin. So some of you, that's your step. Put your trust in Christ. Some of you are Christians, though, and you also need to bring your past to the cross. Even if your regrets are from yesterday, we need to be looking forward to the forgiveness we have in Christ. Others of you maybe need to develop this relationship with Christ. We talk a lot about this. Or maybe you need to identify the race that you're in. Do you even know your spiritual gifts and abilities? Do you know how God wants to use you? These are part of what it means to live in this present. To get to know Jesus Christ is making it our top thing. It was Paul's top thing. And then running that track that God has for us. And then, are you eagerly anticipating Christ's return? This is mentioned a lot of times in the Bible about this idea that fixing our eyes from when he comes back. Look ahead when he's coming back. He's coming back. Why? It impacts how we live today. Because you're anticipating one day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And John, in the book of 1 John, he's talking to Christians and he says, you don't want to be the kind of person who turns away from Christ when he comes back, which is going to happen with some, because they'll be ashamed. But we're looking to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, we just thank you that you've loved us so much in sending your Son and that through him we have new life. That through Jesus Christ, our past, our present, our future are changed forever. And we tell you we're grateful for that. But help us, Lord, to align our lives in a way that reflects the role that Jesus is to play in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.